This is Inspired by Example, a podcast about purpose, passion, and pivotal moments that can change the course of a life of meaning. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Will Price. In this series, my brother and I speak with leaders and innovators, people who, through their work and ways of working, have inspired us and countless others. We hope that after today's conversation, you'll feel inspired by example. All right, Will, the idea with this podcast is that we get to talk to remarkable people who've done remarkable things with courage, purpose, curiosity, character, and through our conversations, maybe reveal certain lessons that can be examples to follow. Our guest today is retired Admiral Steve Abbott, someone whose bio reads like something out of a Tom Clancy novel. Before we share a bit about Steve's life, it's worth sharing with our listeners that we've known Steve and his wife Marjorie our whole lives. Steve was the best man at our parents' wedding. And ever since I can remember, I've been fascinated not only by the type of life that Steve has lived, but by the way in which he's lived it. Here's our 50,000 foot view of our guest and our friend, Steve Abbott. Steve was born in Pensacola, Florida, into a naval family. His grandfather, was Captain James Lloyd Abbott III, and his father was Admiral Doc Abbott, a decorated naval officer whose career included being the commanding officer of the attack aircraft carrier USS Intrepid, which is now, of course, a museum docked in New York City. Steve attended the Naval Academy, graduating with distinction with the class of 1966 before deploying to Vietnam aboard the destroyer Harry B. Wilson. In the fall of 1967, Steve reported to Oxford University as a Rhodes Scholar. This is where Steve's path crossed with our families. Our dad was a Rhodes Scholar classmate, and they became great and lifelong friends. After three years at Oxford, Steve returned to military service. And after flight training, he flew the A-7 in two deployments in the Western Pacific. He then became a test pilot of the F-18 fighter jet. After a series of fascinating assignments, Steve became commanding officer of the nuclear aircraft carrier Theodore Roosevelt and was its CO during Operation Desert Storm. Steve served as commander, carrier group eight, director J3 of the US European Command, commander of the Sixth Fleet, and finished his military career in October 2000 as deputy commander in chief US European Command. After retiring, Steve served as Deputy Homeland Security Advisor to President George W. Bush. Beginning in 2003, Steve served as the President and CEO of Navy Marine Corps Relief Society. In July 2022, Steve took the remarkable step of joining with other former U.S. military leaders in condemning former President Trump in a letter that said, while rioters tried to thwart the peaceful transfer of power and ransack the Capitol on January 6, 2021, the president and commander-in-chief, Donald Trump, abdicated his duty to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. Steve, of the many ways we've described you, we can also say that you're a modest and humble man. So thank you for letting us share with our listeners what an incredible life you've lived. We should add that your wife, Marjorie, and family has always held an important place in our family's lives. So thank you for joining us today. 
Well, I'm very grateful to be here. Thank you very much. I, I'd like to emphasize the family connection that we have. By the way, I was just going through old correspondence, trying to make space in closets here. And uh, I read a note that was written to Marjorie and me from your mom, Marion, and it reported that William, she called him, was uh, six weeks old and was performing remarkable achievements at that age. Uh, <laughs> this is before you, Rich. Yep. And uh, I just want to emphasize that, you know, my uh, experience with your parents and with your family over the years has been one of the enormous great pleasures of my life. Thank you very much for saying that. Very much likewise. Chapter one, leadership. So the first chapter, Steve, is, is leadership. As you think of leaders in your own life, who are some that have had a lasting impact on your life? And what are some of the lessons and traits you've integrated and continue to lean on? I'm going to do what I think a lot of people are inclined to do, which is to mention their own father. Um, folks that know my family and knew my dad won't be surprised that he has a special place for me in terms of learning about leadership. It was a combination of qualities that I learned about him along the way. He was the world's greatest optimist. He knew how to get people to work together and he loved people. So those were his qualities. And I'll tell you just one sea story about my dad, if I could. He had packed us in the car to drive a thousand miles from Chincoteague, Virginia, where he was stationed uh, as commanding officer of a squadron down to Mobile, Alabama to visit his parents, my grandparents. And it, we hadn't been in the car for five minutes when we had a flat tire. And there were a lot of long faces in the car. My dad popped out and said, you know, we've never used the new jack in this car. And it's supposed to be a really good one. Well, why don't we see how quickly we can change this tire. We'll time ourselves and see if we can set a record here. So Steve and Lloyd, you start taking the stuff out of the trunk and, and Mars, you keep uh, Mero over here on the side. And my dad had turned that flat tire into one of the most fun experiences that I can remember in my life. And I guess if you think about what you want to do as you're involved in an organization and or leading an organization is you want to have people feel like that same kind of positive experience is what they're going through. So uh, he was a guiding light for me. I got to see Navy leaders at, you know, every single level in our great Navy. And there were great leaders for me along the way, the ones that set the example by doing the right thing, for volunteering for the late night flights in the bad weather. And um, there were also some that you learn from who weren't necessarily doing the right thing. And frankly, I think you can learn from both kinds of folks. Yeah. And you mentioned that I had command of, of Theodore Roosevelt. It was a wonderful, enjoyable experience and an important time for me and the Navy and the country. But I also learned a lot about President Theodore Roosevelt as a result. And I became a great admirer of Theodore Roosevelt. He was just such a remarkable man for his times. And he's a pretty good man for our times as well. You know, in addition to being awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, he, he was also a Medal of Honor recipient for his 
actions in Cuba. And he was a naturalist, prolific reader in that sense, an academic. He was a conservationist, was able to listen to people, not a quality that we see in all of those in senior positions in government. And interestingly, at the end of his life, he was a progressive. So I found inspiration in Theodore Roosevelt, and I would put him right up there with all of the great leaders that I've known. Teddy Roosevelt was known by some as TR. After your naval career, you served under a, a guy known as TR. Tell us about Tom Ridge. Tom Ridge, Governor Tom Ridge, came to Washington after 9-11. He was the sitting governor of Pennsylvania. He was drafted to come, establish the Homeland Security Council, and help the nation deal with 9-11 and what we ought to be doing better to protect ourselves from that kind of future event. I happened to be at the White House working on a study, and I got drafted by Tom Ridge to be his deputy. And I had the privilege of getting to know him, getting to watch him in an incredibly challenging circumstance, building from scratch the Homeland Security Council, and then building the Department of Homeland Security and becoming its first secretary. So here was a my first real close association with somebody that was a career politician, didn't necessarily have high levels of admiration for politicians until I met Tom Ridge. He was an inspiration to me. They're not sea stories because they're White House stories, but plenty of times where he stood out among the many in, as I said earlier on, doing the right thing. So I salute Tom Ridge. Working with people and for people, being consistent is pretty important, but it involves so many other qualities in my view. Perseverance. My father used to have this great saying that we all must remember the power of persistence. Maybe changing that tire was was an example, but also learning how to deal with not at first being successful. I went to Oxford with your father as a Rhodes Scholar, but it was after my second try. I had been unsuccessful the year before. They had, uh, for some reason, selected a fellow named Wesley Clark instead of me. Um, so I, I got to uh, go back and compete, try again, and became a good friend of Wes Clark's. And uh, so I say, you know, that was a life lesson for me. The try, try, try again is a very valuable uh, admonition. Chapter two, turning point. Can you recall or share with us a specific turning point in your life that had a profound impact on the course of your life and how you live it? I was in the 10th grade at school in Maryland. Uh, my dad was stationed at the Naval Academy and he got orders to Norfolk, Virginia. It was 1959. And the schools in Virginia had been closed because of problems with desegregation. So there was no clear path for me to go on to the 11th grade in the Virginia area. I had a friend who had gone to a school in uh, New England called Andover. I don't think I'd ever been to New England. I certainly had never been to Andover, but I thought it sounded like an exciting thing to do. So I ended up going to school for the last two years of high school at, at Andover. And it was a turning point for me. First of all, I don't recall ever having seen snow until I got up there. And I discovered that they have 
snow in the grocery store parking lots until about May. And I decided when I went to college, I was going to try to find a place further south. And of course, a lot of my family had been in the Navy, as you pointed out. My brother had gone to the Naval Academy in 1961, father and grandfather who were graduates. But I applied to Princeton and was accepted to go to Princeton and was right on the cusp of heading there and woke up one day and said to myself, you know, I think you need to understand yourself a little better. You would enjoy the Naval Academy. And I decided that's what I would do. And I ended up heading to the Naval Academy and then off in a Navy career. And um, you've talked about, you know, Oxford and my time there with your dad. I, I made a friend for life with uh, Kent Price and we have been close, of course, ever since. And we joke about the fact that we're like prime ministers, Gladstone and Disraeli, the two 19th century British prime ministers, one of whom was a committed conservative, Disraeli, and the other a committed liberal, Gladstone. And your father and I have continued that tradition, each of us becoming more Disraeli-like or more Gladstone-like over the period of our superannuation. So I'm happy to describe that friends can get along, even if they have different political opinions. That's a good lesson. <laughs> that is a good lesson. You're listening to Inspired by Example, brought to you by Inspire HQ, a SaaS platform designed to simplify how purpose-led organizations remain aligned. An ecosystem of AI-enabled tools in service of how progress really happens. Learn more at inspirehq.team. Chapter 3. Lesson Learned. Your career, I'm sure there are many examples, but is there a challenge or a low point setback in retrospect that helped shape your approach to leadership today? So I came back from Oxford to rejoin the Navy, and I'd been a uh, what they call a surface warfare officer for that first year after I graduated from the Naval Academy. And the reason that I went to a destroyer was that I couldn't pass the aviation physical. I couldn't see well enough to get admitted to flight training. And I came back and was working for a short period in the Pentagon. And the fellow that I was working for said, you know, the war's on. The Vietnam War was really in its busy end phase, and they are looking for naval aviators. I think you ought to go back over to the Naval Hospital of Bethesda and get another flight physical. I said, okay, I, I'll give it a try. And I went back across the river and went through all of the medical tests and came back with a sheet of paper that said, this individual is not physically qualified for naval aviation. And I told my boss, and he said, go back over to Bethesda. I said, well, okay. I went back over to Bethesda and took another physical and was judged to be suited for aeronautical duty and went to flight training. And then later, a test pilot for the F-18. Incredible. As your dad said, the power of perseverance. And potency of persistence. And it was the thing that launched me into what really made me a career naval officer, which was 
to become a naval aviator and to be able to fly on aircraft carriers and have somebody pay me to do it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a personal uh, thing, which is a lesson and it's a tragedy, which is that I lost my oldest son, Spencer, to suicide. And it was six years ago. And it was a uh, cataclysmically difficult thing for me. But it included a lot of things that I needed to learn about people and myself and my own family. And to relearn some of those lessons that I had got from my father about doing the right thing and taking care of people. So you've asked me, and I've given you some straightforward answers to what are sometimes difficult questions, but that's where I am. I appreciate that very much. And and Spencer was a great guy and just a dear person. And uh, we're just so sorry for your loss, but thank you for sharing that. Chapter four, values. What are some of the core values and principles that you rely on to guide your decisions in life? And maybe the discussion that we just had about Spencer includes some of those, but could you share some of that reflection and learning? For me, it's always saying to myself, regardless of what the situation is, do the right thing. And sometimes the right thing is not necessarily the easy thing or the intuitive thing or I also think it's a part of a second principle of you have a responsibility to take care of people. You have the responsibility to take care of yourself and the people around you, the people that are working with you and for you. And you have to have that in a primacy that eclipses the notion that you're working for yourself. The third one, I guess I would add, which is taken on more of a compelling circumstance for me later in life is what I would call taking care of your country. I have become aware as time has gone on and I've watched this country evolve in the way that it has that we all need to be taking care of it. And there are some ways in which we all ought to be working to do a little more. And so I think that's a value that I care about. It's maybe part of that thing we talk about in the military where you swear an oath when you become commissioned to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. And that is a mission that I want to still be on. You've lived through some turbulent times, you know, obviously the civil rights era, Vietnam, um, deployed in combat and war and how do you think about where we are today? Are you optimistic, pessimistic? How do you, how do you feel about where we are today as a country and a couple of things you'd like to see change maybe? I do love this country. I, and I know it's rare to find someone that doesn't uh, say that who is a citizen of this country. Uh, I care deeply about it. Uh, but I also know that countries are like people. They, they all have flaws. And this one certainly does. And the promise of a democracy is that it's for the people and the people can continue to improve the country they live in. I've become more gripped by this uh, in recent years. I'll give you an example. I, I signed up last year to become a poll worker in Arlington, Virginia, just to be able to be involved in the actual election process. And, and Rich recounted uh, 
a letter that I'd written along with several others about what had happened on January 6th of 2021. And I uh, am part of a couple of different organizations, all of which are oriented toward trying to make changes to our democracy where changes are appropriate and, and needed. We can't just say, well, it, it, it was put together in sort of an immaculate conception in 1776 and 89, and we don't need to touch a nothing. Well, that's just not the case. It needs lots of tending. And I can say that at this point, uh, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that it's the most stressful time for our democracy that I can remember uh, that in my lifetime has occurred in this last eight years. And I'm dedicated to trying to work with others to help learn the lessons of, of that stressful period make changes where they're needed. Uh, and, um, you know, if we are all pitching in, it can get better. Let's see if we can work together to make some fixes that will uh, improve the lives for all of us. Inspired by Example is also brought to you by Next Frontier Capital, investing in the future of the Rocky Mountain region, partnering with mission-driven entrepreneurs to build Rocky Mountain technology companies of impact, utility, and value. Learn more at nextfrontiercapital.com. Chapter five, passions. What are some of the passions and hobbies that you've pursued in life that have shaped your personal development? You know, I've, I've loved sports all my life. I played football as a running back in high school, and the coach once called me over and said, Steve, I've noticed that the linemen actually run faster than you do. <laughs> and so I wasn't going to have any of those sports as a occupation, but I had had fun all my life getting outside and doing things. And, and that leads to the Second real passion, which of course is still flying airplanes. I have a little single engine airplane that I inherited from my father who bought it, by the way, brand new when it was, he was 84 years old. Like you said, he was a real optimist. And so uh, <laughs> it's the uh, vehicle that takes me to visit my grandchildren. If you want to talk about a passion, it's being able to connect flying with visiting your grandchildren. So I think I'll leave it at that. Well, it's been a real honor to have you. You're just one of the great Americans that we know, and you have a lifetime of service, whether it's to the Navy, to uh, the Marine Navy families, to the Homeland Security Department, and now can, of course, to our civic and political democracy and as a volunteer. But you just, you're a great example, Steve, uh, of service and, and leadership through service. So uh, we really appreciate you making the time to spend time with us. It's a great pleasure and any opportunity to connect with the Price family is time well spent for Steve Abbott. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Give our best to Marjorie. Thanks, Steve. You bet. Thanks, Rich. Right. We'll be Bye. in touch. Bye. Bye, Steve. Ciao. You've been listening to Inspired by Example, conversations on leadership and inspiration, brought to you by Inspire HQ and Next Frontier Capital. Join us next time 
for another episode of Inspired by Example.